Hello and welcome to Storm Static Sleep. I'm Jack Tutor, bringing you the second episode in a new series of post-rock podcasts. So these are designed to coincide with the release of my new book, Storm Static Sleep, A Pathway Through Post-Rock, which is the first book to be dedicated to the story of post-rock music. Uh, it's out now, came out on uh, November 30th, uh, and you can buy it at stormstaticsleep.com. Uh, also, it should be available in uh, good UK bookstores. And uh, also be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well to keep up to date. So last time our podcast centred on an interview with David Grubbs, who was in uh, Bastro and Gaster del Sol. And David helped me unpick the original meaning of post-rock back when it first proliferated as a term in the mid-90s. So this time, we're zooming right up to the present tense with an interview with Chris King from This Will Destroy You. And uh, this is a band from Texas who have often found themselves associated with the term post-rock, particularly with their first couple of releases, which carried a lot of the traits that we now associate with post-rock in 2015. So a lot of reverb, um, dramatic shifts from quiet to loud, uh, a lot of those poignant harmonies as well. Although since the release of their 2011 record Tunnel Blanket, uh, the band have been drifting away from that typical post-rock sound. So last year they released their latest album, which was called Another Language, uh, which amalgamated the emotional drive of latter post-rock with the studio experimentation and sound manipulation of post-rock in the 90s. So in my opinion, they now stand out on their own entirely. I can't really think of anyone else who sounds like them and strike this really fascinating balance between human empathy and this sense of reality displacement. I feel like they share a lot in common with dream states and hallucinations and how textures swirl and shift in stereo space. Anyway, I want to start by playing a track from their self-titled record, which was their first album released in 2008. Uh, It was released by Magic Bullet Records. This particular track's called Burial on the Presidio Banks, uh, and then we'll head straight into the interview with Chris.
albums come out in the meantime as well, which is actually great because I can ask some questions uh, on that as well. Sure. Um, and I mean, in fact, just to start on that, I mean, but it's been out a few months now. I just wondered uh, where it sits with you at the moment. You know, now you've got a few, you know, a bit of distance between yourself and the release date. I mean, how are you feeling about it? Um, I mean, we're we're definitely really proud of the record. Um, it was definitely a process to kind of get to where where we were um, recording it, and you know, uh, feeling um, feeling satisfied with the result of kind of you know blending some different elements together to try to create something a little different, but still have a lot of the um, nuances of, of things that are pretty recognizable to the band. So I think finding that formula kind of kind of took a little while, but, um, uh, we all feel happy with the album, like, you know, with it being dynamic and it's definitely kind of a shift for the band. And I, I think it's a positive one. Sure. Yeah. And when you say positive there, sorry, do you mean is in, in terms of progressive or in terms of the mood of the record? Um, I, I think, I think both probably, I mean, it's definitely a kind of just complete 180, turnaround from uh the previous record uh, tunnel blanket i mean i mean th that that record was just a blatant sort of i mean it, it was meant to be themed to just be muddy and muddy and dark and you know i mean the lack of trouble and all that was very intentional and um you know to, to it was interesting to explore a record that specifically to do something that specific as far as themes and whatnot. But, um, I guess just kind of playing more on, uh, creating melody in, in, in different ways that we haven't created in the past on this newer record was something that was, um, exciting when it was starting to work well. Sure. I mean, cause with, with that last record, I mean, as you say, it was really intensely dark. And mm -hmm. huge, you know. And I, I, working on this new record, I mean, was there um, was there something quite liberating about getting that sort of heaviness out of your your system, and being able to step back into the more uh, melodic facet of your work? Yeah, I mean, it, it's still. I feel like there's still elements of the previous record poking in every once in a while, but for the most part, to kind of take a step back from just the like you know, kind of the punch in the face sort of um, reaction to writing music with Tunnel Blanket where it's like trying to make the music as intense as possible and kind of kind of just approaching the, the mood of the record in a different way. Um, I guess, you know, just at the end of the day having a, a, a different goal with, with creating the uh you know the the record as a whole i i don't know i i think it definitely definitely the mood mood was quite different this is the thing because i mean when you instigate these shifts between mood and i've always um wondered i mean i i make music myself but i i can't work in bands because i i'm not very articulate i don't think musically so it's easy for me to instigate shifts inside my head and not have to explain them and just do them but I, I i wonder in the context of a band uh how easy is it to to sort of bring everyone into the same area of of thinking uh or, or, or you know pulling towards like the same sort of vision sure um i mean 
that's kind of always worked for for the band and against the band in certain aspects the whole like kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve and things being like emotive to the point where people might think that it's just being fabricated but i mean literally you know i mean we were surrounded by death writing that material so i mean it was just a reflection of what we were going through i mean we couldn't write happy music we weren't that's not what was going on around us, you know? I mean, it was just a really intense period for us. Um, it just would have been fake and fabricated if we would have just made some, like, super chiny, trebly, happy, kind of homogenized, vanilla-sounding music. We wanted to make, like, a... We wanted to hit the brown note. We wanted it to be dirty. We wanted to create reactions and just create tension and that's just what we were feeling so I mean you know I mean it is very emotional music so I mean it's almost like transparent in that sense that it is very interpersonal. What's amazing for me with that Tunnel Blanket record is, is just while it, there seems to there is so much um, you talk about dealing with a lot of kind of very very intense emotional themes but the the record still sounds huge. Like it's not this kind of, you know, lethargic waning thing. I mean, that some of the, like the biggest compositions I've heard in ages, like the energy of the music is in incredible. Even, even though it's, you know, it's dealing with something which I, I guess for um, some people could perhaps translate into maybe quite a, a, a drain sort of music. It really comes through with you guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's like different strokes for everyone. I, I could see how someone thinks it just sounds like a broken fucking refrigerator. I, I totally get that. <laughs> but like, at the same time, you know, it was it was a nice time for us to really experiment. I mean, mostly what we were listening to was like darker classical music, like Ligotti or, you know... Um, like Wagner pieces and like, you know, we, that was some of the bigger influences with almost making like very themed orchestral style pieces to where they're like, maybe on the surface, there isn't a lot of that happening because the songs are a little longer, but like, it's all about very subtle kind of progressions and movements. And that's what I love about traditional classical music. I mean, it's all about shifts and dynamics and it's not as much about just overt melody sometime, which I, I thought that was, if anything, it was a really nice exercise for the band just to flex some other muscles. I, I, I don't know. I, I still feel really proud of that record. Um, you know, there's no regrets with putting out something. And I, I mean, the people that, you know, there's there's some there's some people that think that it was just kind of a, a a reaction of us basically saying like fuck you to people for listening to a certain kind of music. I think was completely taken out of context. Um, you know, and that wasn't the intention at all. We just wanted to create something different. I I don't know. I mean, that's part of evolving as musicians and artists. And I, I like. You know, like peers around us making similar music have the same feeling, you know? I mean, people just interpret it as being like hateful and just, 
you know, I think Donovan had said some quote, and it comes up almost in every interview where he just said, like, fuck post-rock and fuck <laughs> yeah. post-rock. And, and, you know, granted, I get I get that that's, like, a pretty big, you know, that, that's something that's easy to take in, a, in, in, in sort of, like, a music journalist sense where that's a very easy kind of write-off story, and I, I, I totally get that, but I think... I think that whole sort of fiasco was completely taken out of the context. If people read the rest of the interview, it would make more sense than how it just, that direct quote sounds awful. And uh, I don't know, it's just kind of taken out of context, but that's what happens. Yeah, I, I guess as well as, you know, if someone may say it once and, I mean, the internet's dreadful as well, isn't it? If something's written down, if anything's got an air of sarcasm or, or levity to it, uh, all you need to do is put it in capitals or bung an exclamation mark on the end or, or keep repeating it over and over again. And suddenly people think it's like a, a mantra, you know, that you've all got tattooed on your foreheads or something. So Sure, sure. That's, you know, part of the fun of the internet, I guess. But I mean, it's strange as well because, I mean, you guys had, uh, what, like, I, I guess, like two major... Um, releases before Tunnel Blanket, and uh, and it's not like as though you you had this you know massive um, body of kind of very similar material that you were betraying. It's it's you it, you know and and even you know your first two releases sound different to each other to quite a great extent. So that's strange that people didn't you know the the, the next step on was that you took was the step too far. I you know I I, I guess I guess so. I mean I. I totally understand why people wouldn't want to be in that sort of mindset all the time. I think it's definitely a kind of like a, a sort of like rainy day mood piece. And I, I, I get that it's not as universal um, and I mean, we've never been interested in that anyway. So, I mean, it just, when we wrote those songs, it felt right and we felt good about them and um, we're happy with how it turned out. Congleton did a great job definitely exploring certain um, tonal themes that we wanted. I mean, we're very specific. I mean, just literally like notched out treble in the entire record on purpose and, and, you know, sort of very meticulous kind of like musical themes like that was done intentionally. And I, I don't know if people question the fidelity and other things like that too, which I found to be really strange, hmm. um, but you know, it, it's just different for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Um, with with not knocking out the entire treble, I mean, was there uh, something in particular within the treble that you wanted to blot out? I mean, is it sort of the you know the lightness that I guess is associated with with treble? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a very consistent theme in um, in in that branch of music specifically the really chimey like tremolo picked high high e kind of like you know melodic harmonized kind of twinkly parts and we're just like we weren't feeling twinkly at all <laughs> we were like pissed off and sad and angry and like not at people it was just at like life you know yeah. and it's an i don't know it was just like an expression of what we were going through it's like we didn't feel like writing like majestic, epic, opus type songs. We weren't feeling that at all. Feel like with the previous two records, I mean, we were quite a bit younger at that point. And, you know, there's a, 
there's something really beautiful about being young and idealistic, almost to a point where you're just beyond naive about what's going on in the world to where, you know, there's something, there is something really beautiful about being overly optimistic about, about life. And, you know, it's just, it's a, it's just reflective of like the time period of, of when you're living and when you're young and, things are new and exciting. And I, I feel like that like reflects, you know, especially in the first record, um, you know, and it's just like kind of part of growing up is, is people too. I don't know. It just, it was just like a transition for us as well. The, the part of the record that, I mean, really, really sticks with me is the, um, during the reprise, you have this really, uh, quite the horrible, actually this loop that kind of pings between it, but it's so almost apathetic to the melody. It's like, this horrible noise kind of going over and over again it just completely seems to kind of jar with that track in a real like fuck this kind of way yeah i mean that's what i think makes music organic and real are little mistakes like that you know like you know you're recording a guitar part and you kind of maybe jank one of the strings and you go back and you're like oh i fucked that up and then you kind of listen to it like, well, that sounds like a person playing a guitar. Yeah. There's something beautiful about it being like raw and just, you know, there's, there's something beautiful about fallacies and making mistakes and, you know, with everything being so glossed over and like highly compressed and things needing to be kind of perfect. There's something nice about a gritty raw aspect of music to make it feel alive to me. And I feel like Tunnel Blanket was kind of more an experiment and kind of playing around with that a little bit with sounds and, and just allowing things to happen organically in in live settings, you know, recording just like, oh, like we were a little off on that part. It still sounds great. It almost creates more tension and sounds sort of intentional, like a strange kind of movement.
So that was Communal Blood from the This Will Destroy You album Tunnel Blanket, released on Monotreme Records and Magic Bullet in 2011. And you'll have heard how that album was very much the focus of the discussion in the first half of the podcast, and I think that's largely because the album almost represents a tipping point between a post-rock-centric sound and then This Will Destroy You's venture into something quite different entirely. And in the second half of this interview, we'll uh, switch focus to another language, which is the most recent This Will Destroy Full Length released last year on Suicide Squeeze. And we'll return now to the interview with Chris as we talk about another language. I think I saw you mention in an interview that you uh, sort of wrote most of the new record in the studio. I mean, did, did that enable you as well to sort of um, explore more of that textural and um, uh, and the placement aspects, I guess, of, of putting the record together and capturing it. Yeah, no, I, I think that definitely tied into it quite a bit. Um, yeah, it, it was nice to kind of have a little more room to experiment with things like texture and, 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 and kind of adding more of a uh, textural depth that varied from the previous record and kind of focusing more on you know on different on actual parts and melodies and things and trying to find a kind of hybrid of a sort of like the best of sort of both fields of that to where it would be kind of palatable sure i mean because i i i mean and one thing i do pick up on i mean with this record as well is like the um and it ties back in with what you were saying with those you know mistakes and stuff but very sort of waning and like uh very analog sound i mean do you have a particular interest in in those sort of naturally decaying kind of yeah i mean a lot of the a lot of the textural stuff i have several um tape machines in like my home studio and uh you know, I love the way tape warble sounds and when things are decaying and there's something kind of beautiful beautiful about like the archival sense of something tape sat- tape saturating something to death to where it almost like takes on a new sort of persona and you know, it'll be out of phase and out of tune and it just sounds right. It just sounds like some distant memory or something and it just kind of creates this interesting atmosphere around it and I you know and that's definitely something that as far as really embracing things that aren't necessarily perfect takes is something that I definitely cued off from John Congleton and just working with him and his he has such a unique mentality as a producer and engineer and definitely definitely influenced how I saw things in the studio after a certain point, kind of at the end of self-titled, just kind of seeing things he would point out that tended to work that were just kind of happy accidents. And it's like, okay, just kind of kind of really reeling like the the beauty of, of mistakes and that it just making the music feel organic. Compared to your um, earlier material, so the self-titled, was that um, written more in a uh, sort of as a as a band uh, as opposed to in the studio? I mean, how did that compare to uh, the more recent records? 
Um, I mean, it, it's been different for every record. Um, we tend to write most of the full band pieces together always. I mean, that seems to to end up working. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think someone will bring something that will spark the entire band to kind of facilitate and write write entire uh, pieces. But um, I feel like when things work with all of us together, it's just really obvious at this point with the band being over like 10 years old now. Like it, it just, when it, you know, when it seems to work for us, we just have a pretty good understanding now that it's, that it's working. And, um, you know, it, it's varied from record to record as far as like, as far as full, full band, um, you know, with us all being together and writing, but uh, I mean, for the most part, with the with the bigger band pieces, it's been all of us together in a room. Uh, I I saw you live at Arc Tangent actually this year. It's the first time I've seen you. Um, oh, cool, great! Yeah, it was amazing, and it was. Um, I seem to remember like a lot of sideways rain as well, which kind of added to the whole thing. Just yeah, it was a, it was a yeah <laughs> kind of worried for your equipment as well actually yeah yeah it was it was intense with the possibility of being like shocked on stage <laughs> or something but uh yeah you know it uh ended up working <laughs> yeah and it, sa- it sounded fucking amazing from where i was standing but I, I i wonder if um <clears throat> with the more recent records is there a I mean, I get this impression from listening to it, so it may be completely off the mark. But I mean, is there like a, a version of, you know, this all story that exists in the studio and a version on stage? Like it almost feels as though the pieces that you're recording now are, are almost to a certain extent quite studio specific and quite reliant on the, on the things that you can do in the studio to make them, if that makes sense. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there there's a bit of... Um... You know, there's a bit of sampling that we that we enact live. Um, you know, trying to keep a proper balance of that. Um, you know, uh, still keeping things predominantly live, but I mean, the point where like, you know, we still want to keep the band as a four-piece band. You know, I it doesn't make sense to just bring people on to play like one part of one song or, or something, you know, like there, there are little, little parts of songs that, uh, that just require sampling. Um, you know, just the goal is to make, make the parts as dynamic as possible, like with whatever means we have to do that. And, um, uh, I guess that's varied, um, a little bit since the earlier records, just with this kind of, growing in a musical sense of just kind of of being very interested in capturing the full spectrum of sound and, and frequency on on heavy parts and a big part of that is putting emphasis on low end which um i feel like unfortunately a lot of bands in the genre don't pay attention to subharmonics and things and i always find that really surprising because to me that's what I respond to that the most. That's the most guttural and like physical, you know, it, it, it beats you down feeling like 
subharmonics and like those low frequencies are just so important. And, um, you know, like some of that stuff can be, can be tracked. Cause I mean, Donovan has to play regular bass as well. I mean, you know, I think, I think someday we'll, we'll eventually, uh, be able to like travel with the, like, a motorist or some kind of bass synthesizer with foot pedals, but you know, we're not like fucking millionaires. We can't afford that sort of gear, gear all the time. Unfortunately, if someone wants to give it to us, you know, we'll, we'll take it. I think what, what I find so remarkable about that new record is it, it kind of has that, um, effect of almost being this imaginary sound world, even though it's sort of, you know, you manage to convey that feeling of abstraction between four people. It's pretty nuts. I was I was listening to it. I I did like a, a set of um, night shifts about two months ago, and I was listening to it sleep deprived on the train, just feeling like I was in a little glass bubble away from everyone else because, you know, I had like two hours sleep during the day, and I was listening to your record, and it was it hits such a chord because it's um, things come out of nowhere on that album, and everything's kind of in flux all the time. That's that's definitely something I find beautiful in music is the capacity for it to sort of uh, transport and be almost like an escape. Everyone kind of has their like vices and ways of kind of negating like this sort of onslaught of life. And, you know, the, the idea of escapism is something that's kind of beautiful in music. And I, I you know, I... I don't know. I, it's great to hear hear things like that, and that it can be. I don't know. It can be sort of. Uh, it can you know just like transport you to to somewhere else when you're just sitting there. I, there's something great about that. So that was my interview with Chris King from This Will Destroy You, and I want to end this podcast by playing a track from another language. This is called Dustism, and personally, I'd recommend headphone listening for this so perhaps you'll have a similar experience to the one i had on that train but however you choose to listen i hope you enjoy it thanks for checking out this latest episode um, our previous episode the interview with david grubbs is available on itunes and soundcloud as well we'll be back again soon with more in the meantime be sure to head over to stormstaticsleep.com to find out more about the book or uh, give us a search as well on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram in order to keep up to date. Take care. See you soon.